Welcome to Friday Friends, R.I. Elder Info's weekly look at the organizations and individuals providing resources for Rhode Island seniors, caregivers, and professionals. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. It is nine o'clock on Friday morning, the last Friday in August. Wow, did that go by fast. And you know what this is. This is Deb Burton, the executive director of RI Elder Info, a creator of rielderinfo.com. And every Friday at 9 a.m., I bring you a guest who is going to share information that you need to know about. So it's really important that you hit the like button and the share button to get this information out. We have some really, really important things to discuss today for all of us. So really important that you hit the like and the share button to help us get the word out. So as you know, I say every week we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So we would not be able to come here and share this information with you if it were not for the support of our sponsors. So I'd like to give a big shout out to Aetna. They are a wonderful partner of ours, really helping us do some community outreach and education out there. So we're really grateful to Aetna's support and Oak Street Health, their primary care provider here in Rhode Island. They even provide transportation to the doctor. And I know that that's one of those things that is really becoming a sticky icky for a lot of people to be able to, to get to the doctor. So Oak Street Health gives the, that transportation. Also, United Healthcare, super grateful to United Healthcare. They are a wonderful team that can provide Medicare coverage for you. And I encourage you to give Jen a call over there. She is an absolute darling. Um, I also want to thank England Studios. They are an award-winning web design team. They're the, the wizards behind the curtain for rielderinfo.com. And also, speaking of wizards behind the curtain, I'd like to say thank you to 321 Media and Ben. He's the one who makes this look good. He's the one who can make the things come across the bottom. There are some things that I am just not tech savvy enough to do. So I am really grateful that he makes this look good. And he also makes it really easy to do. So really grateful to our sponsors. Really grateful to our individual donors out there who are supporting the work that we're doing every day. I am unbelievably grateful as we're coming up on our fourth birthday pretty soon. So today we're going to be talking about something that is your right and how you can exercise that right. So I would like to welcome Kate Bowden of Disability Rights of Rhode Island. Hi Hello. Kate. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. I am very happy to have you here. So can you tell everybody what is Disability Rights Rhode Island and, and what is it that you do there? And are you the same as Rhode Island Legal Services? Great question. So we are not the same as legal services. We'll start there. <clears throat> okay. We are, um, Disability Rights Rhode Island is a nonprofit. We're part of a national network of agencies called Protection and Advocacy Agencies. So there is an agency like ours in every state and the territories. We were created by Congress. So we're created by statute and we receive federal funding. 
And so we handle civil rights issues related to people with disabilities. Um, our mission is to, to help Rhode Islanders with differing abilities to achieve full inclusion in society. And um, we do that through many different um, ways. Sometimes it's providing an individual with, with education and resources. Sometimes it is larger projects that we work on with partners. Uh, and, um, and sometimes it's, it's litigation. So we, um, we are civil rights focused. Okay. Did that, did that come about the disability rights start like in the sixties or like, when did it start? When did people start thinking that individuals who have disabilities also have rights? Uh, well, the creation of the protection and advocacy system came about um, in the seventies. It was in response to some um news about what was happening in institutions for people with developmental disabilities. And it was uncovered that there were terrible abuses happening. And so Congress determined that there needed to be in each state a watchdog to look out for people with disabilities. So our grants started as um, being targeted towards people with developmental disabilities um, such as autism or intellectual disabilities. And then over the years, um, the programs have grown so that we, we have a grant related to mental illness and behavioral health and physical disabilities, um, assistive technology, and, and now voting, which is um, one of my focuses. So when you talk about people with disabilities, is, is there an age limit on disabilities? Is it like you're considered disabled up until a certain point and then you're just considered retired? Um, are there anything, is there anything like that that explains the difference between the two? So in terms of our services, we serve um, all ages of people with disabilities. Okay. Um, and when you ask about you know, the de definition of disability, it can get really tricky because it depends on the context, especially if you're talking about legal issues. For example, um, someone who is is seeking, someone who's in their 20s who has autism and is seeking uh, services from the state due to their disability is going to have one particular criteria they have to meet. Someone else, who is seeking social security benefits, for example, will have to prove uh, a different criteria depending on their disability. So with, with an unemployment, unemployment is gonna be a different criteria. So when you talk about the, the definition and you're concerned about legal issues, it really depends on the context. But I can say more broadly that there is a very important law called the Americans with Disabilities Act. And this law prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities. And it has a very broad definition of disability. And um, basically the definition is that if the person has a mental or physical impairment that substantially impacts a major life activity, then they have a disability. So, and this is very broad. So I, 
I, I have a list here. I wanted, I wanted to really th uh, throw out some of them. So major life activities include caring for oneself, performing manual tasks, um, seeing, hearing, sleeping, walking, standing, concentrating, um, communicating, and working. So if a person, and so just to put that all together, so if a person has a, a physical or mental um, impairment that substantially limits one of those things, they would be considered to have a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Wow, that's, that is very interesting as to what constitutes um, having a disability under ADA. Right. Um, now, of course, if you if you want to sue for discrimination, you're going to mm -hmm. have to have evidence to prove that you are a person with a disability who meets this criteria. Um, okay. But in terms of our services, our, our services are very, you know, are very broad in terms of who we serve. Okay. And I do, I do feel as if there are opportunities out there, especially in the voting arena, for um, accommodations and supports that people may not be aware of because they don't think of themselves as having a disability. Exactly. I think that that happens pretty frequently as we don't think about it. There's also stigma around being identified as an individual with a disability. Unfortunately, um, yes. Yeah. So what are some of the issues that, that you see that you're working on now at Disability Rights RI? Um, well, generally speaking, or just the voting area? Um, maybe the voting. Let's start with the voting because the voting, uh, the primaries, uh, yeah, they're coming yeah. up <laughs> in a couple of weeks. I think it's what, the 13th of September? Election day is September 13th. That's the last time that a person can vote uh, in the primary. But what we're really seeing in Rhode Island is exciting around voting because Rhode Island has really taken um, a leadership role in expanding access for voters. And this really, really catalyzed around the pandemic. Uh, I watched as community partners such as Common Cause and the ACLU and Disability Rights and, and many other nonprofits um, pushed and worked with uh, election officials to make other opportunities available for voters besides just going to the polls. Um, so we now have a scaled up system for mail ballot voting. Anyone can vote by mail. You don't have to have a reason. And we have early voting uh, so that people can vote in person before election day. So these are really, really fantastic um, developments. We also have accessible mail ballot voting. And what that means is if a person would like to vote from home, but they're not able to see or manipulate the ballot very well, uh, they can request um, an accessible mail ballot and they will be able to access that through the Secretary of State's portal and use their own technology at home to mark the ballot and, um, and then return it either in the, in, the, in the envelope that is sent to them or it's possible, I know there are discussions about um, voters being able to return these ballots electronically as well. So for somebody who is at home with assistive technology or even just a laptop, that can be a great option. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty um, amazing that that 
is available for individuals with disabilities. What what are some of the questions that you see people have about voting when they or their loved one has a disability? Like, yeah, yeah. Is so, there like, did is there misconceptions out there in the community? Because I think a lot of people think you know if you are an individual, um, maybe in long-term care or you're homebound or uh, you're in a group home that, well, gee, of course you can't vote. You can't take care of yourself. So are there, are there misconceptions out there? There are, there are misconceptions. And um, some, some, of the, some of the misconceptions are around guardianship. Okay. So if a person has a legal guardian, the guardian and the person who has the guardian may may have questions about whether the person can vote. And in Rhode Island, it's it's uh, pretty clear uh, that the the person retains the right to vote unless there is a court order that specifically takes away the right to vote. So, how often does that happen? Um, currently, it doesn't happen a lot. Um, it, it, you might see that happening in a guardianship proceeding. Okay. Um, but we do, we do see that people have questions and we're very um, happy that this year we teamed up with the, um, the Rhode Island Developmental Disabilities Council and we uh, worked with the state to identify some areas where they could be more clear in their materials about this issue. So the Secretary of State and the Board of Elections now specifically have um, these questions with the appropriate answer on their websites. So that's, you know, we're trying to get the word out on that. Another area where this comes up is just around a particular diagnosis. Uh, some family members are of the belief that a person with dementia is not allowed to vote or a person with Alzheimer's is not allowed to vote. And that's not the case. And the reason is because if you take away the right to vote based on diagnosis, you'd be taking away the right to vote from people who still maybe may be capable of voting. Um, you don't, we don't take away the right to vote unless there's some sort of a proceeding with evidence that where the person can defend themselves um, around that right, because the right to vote is considered a sacred right. Uh, it cannot be taken away without due process. And in Rhode Island, we recognize that that would, that would have to happen in a court and a judge would have to be involved. Um, does that make sense? So I want to explore that a little bit more. So if an individual has dementia, um, whether that be Alzheimer's or Lewy body or frontal temple, temporal, whatever kind of dementia they might have, how can they, if they can't make their needs known on a regular basis, how can they make their election choice known? So there's the key. That's the absolute key. The person has to be able to articulate a desire to be, to participate in the process. So if you have a person with dementia who is no longer aware of voting and not expressing a desire to vote, then mm -hmm. they won't, they won't vote. Okay. But if you have, but if, if you have someone who has dementia, who says, I'd like to vote, then they can vote. 
And if they um, if they receive a ballot and they look at it and they can't make a choice, then they won't vote. If okay. they receive the ballot and they decide to vote for governor and then they don't understand the other races or care about them, that's okay because you're not required to vote in every race. So um, it's really about whether the person can articulate a desire to participate. And if they can, then they are, should be entitled to if they meet the other you know, eligibility requirements. Okay. And I think, so if someone does need some help, all right, so it could be that they have dementia or it could be something maybe even a little bit more common. Maybe they have aphasia, they've had a stroke, um, their good hand is paralyzed. Are people with disabilities allowed to get somebody to help them mark the ballot? Like to, to actually like take the pen and they'll say, I am choosing to elect candidate X, Y, Z. Yes. There, so there are lots of options around that. Um, federal law and also state law um, states that people with disabilities have a right to have an assistant to mark their ballot. Um, so the way this could work is that if a person is going to the polls, they can bring the helper of their choice. So let's say, you know, my mom had a stroke and her hand isn't, she doesn't like filling out those little bubbles anymore. It's not that easy, right? <laughs> exactly. She can bring me to the polls. I can be her assistant for helping her to mark the ballot. My, and my job is not to tell her how to mark the ballot. It's to take her direction and mark it according to her choosing. And what would happen there is we would go to the polls and she would say, I've brought an assistant. And then they would ask us to fill out um, some paperwork where we both have to promise that I'm not from her union or her employer. They're just, they don't want uh, you to be bringing um, folks who might want to influence your, your vote it, it, from those kinds of air, you know, communities, your employment and your union. Um, otherwise you can bring a family member or friend. Um, another option, let's say my mom doesn't really want me to know how she votes, which I would know if I was helping her. She could also ask for a pair of poll workers to assist her. In that situation, they would provide a bipartisan pair so that they can both oversee and make sure that the ballot is being marked according to um, my mom's wishes. Um, and then there's a another option at the polls, which is also very exciting for Rhode Island. Um, there are new ballot marking devices called the express vote. Um, federal law for a long time has required that every polling place have an accessible um, voting system that allows people who are blind or have disabilities to mark a ballot independently. Um, and in the past, Rhode Island used a machine called the AutoMark. Um, and they were, um, you know, they met the law, but they were kind of clunky and sensitive uh, and difficult. Um, and I don't think that there was a lot of education about them um, because of those reasons. So they've been around, but not everybody has known about it. Um, now those machines have been replaced with newer technology called the Express Vote. So what this does is um, it enables a person to um, use touchscreen um, or listen. So the voter um, inserts 
a ballot into this machine called the express vote. And then the machine can read the ballot for the person. So you, the person can be listening. And for, so if it's a blind, a person who's blind, mm -hmm. um, they listen. And then there are um, buttons th that they can manipulate to mark the ballot. Um, if, if it's, if the person can see, but uh, has low vision or needs a different needs it larger. The machine can zoom into the races and show um, large font, and um, and then they select their choices. And when they're done, the the ballot prints out, and they can if they can see, they can read the ballot and make sure it was marked the way they wanted it to. If they're not able to see, they can reinsert the ballot and have the machine confirm that. It, it printed out the way that they had expected. Um, there is a summary page when you're using the screen, um, but it, it's really important for election security that voters verify their ballots. So we recommend that if people are using the express vote and they're not able to, to see independently, to reinsert that ballot and um, have it read to them to confirm. That's awesome. So they're watching us over at Centerdale Manor today, and they said they had a meet and greet in their community room, which allowed the access for all of the residents, the opportunity to register um, and to get a mail ballot. So I think that is uh, an awesome idea. Now, is it is it too late to still request mail ballots? It's not too late. The okay. regular period has passed. Now we're in the period called the emergency mail ballot voting period. And so if a person wants to vote by mail and did not yet request that opportunity, um, the Secretary of State now has the forms up on their website. Um, there's a form that is called the emergency mail ballot application. But it's really important that people get that application to their local board as soon as possible. Um, because at some point it's going to be difficult for there to be enough time for the ballot to get to you and, and for you, for the voter to return the ballot. Um, I do want to say on that though, that, um, there is a hard deadline. So if for voters who are voting by mail, the ballot must be returned to the board of elections by 8 PM on election night. And the ways that people can return the ballot is by mail. Um, but I recommend that you want there to be three or four days of time you give it uh, to be received. Uh, alternatively, there are drop boxes in every city and town, official Board of Elections drop boxes, usually at town hall, and those ballots can be dropped off there. They also have them at the Secretary of State's office on uh, West River Street and the Board of Elections. I can't remember their address. Um, there is on right on Plainfield Pike, right off 295. Yeah. I don't know the yes. actual number, but <laughs> I, I pass it every day. It's not far from my home. <laughs> also, uh, there, a, a recent directive from the Board of Elections as a result of advocacy from, from Disability Rights Rhode Island and others, um, there will be receptacles at each polling place to receive a mail ballot. So if a person planned to vote by mail and they have the mail ballot, um, but that, but then it's election day and they haven't gotten it in, they can go to any polling place and, um, and deliver it there to the receptacle for, for mail ballots. Um, so that's another, that's another option to make it easier for people to return their ballot. And just in case there are people out there watching, 
The last election and what ensued regarding whether or not things were or were not valid. When individuals with disabilities vote and they get the ballots into the boxes on time or they go to the polling places, there's no question that they have the right to vote, correct? I want to make sure I'm understanding the question. So uh, in the last presidential election, there was questions about who had the right to vote and was it really them and did they really know what they were doing and all of that nonsense around the, the presidential election that took place last time. So this time when people are voting, even if you have a disability, you have a right to have your vote counted. Yes. Uh, I mean... I, I think that Rob Rock from the board from the the Secretary of State's office is probably the man in Rhode Island to talk about uh, Rhode Island's election uh, systems. But I can say that I have um, observed him speak. I've observed the systems that are in place. Uh, Rhode Island is has safe and secure elections. Um, there are protections in place to check signatures and make sure that people are who who they say they are. And, and there are protections to ensure that people um, people's votes are counted. Yeah, and, and we've had the Secretary of State on um, in the past to discuss the security of our systems and we are in wonderful shape. You, you, may, you, you bring up the ability to verify somebody is who they say they are. Do people need to have a photo ID to vote? And, and what kind of photo ID do they need if they did? In, for in-person voting, Rhode Island does require um, a photo ID, mm-hmm. and there are a limited uh, number of IDs that will work, um, and they include a license, a passport, a military ID, educational ID. A lot of people have a RIPTA pass. That does qualify. Um, one important note here is that the law says that the ID has to be current and valid. So what happens if it's right before the election and you didn't realize that your ID had expired? They define current and valid as an ID that has not expired in the last six months. So oh. there's this little there's this little wiggle room right around the time of election if you're if your ID has expired, but it hasn't been expired for more than six months, it's considered current and valid. I do encourage people to keep on top of that and hopefully not have expired ID, but um, that that's how that's how it is in Rhode Island. Um, that's when- really good because it, it's it, it's good that there's some wiggle room because what can happen, um, particularly for our older adults, is they may not need to drive anymore. So they have their driver's license still, but they're not driving, <clears throat> excuse me, because it might not be safe. But to get to the DMV when you don't drive can often be a challenge. And it can take a, a bit to get done to be able to get an ID done when you're not driving anymore. So the fact that there's a little bit of wiggle room, that's really good because it can be more challenging for our older adults to get there to get that ID. So I'm glad that there's that. Well, that and option. I have some more on that. Um, mm-hmm. So let's say we've got an older adult who's no longer driving. Let the 
license expire and now it's been more than six months. Mm -hmm. That situation, the person would be entitled to a free photo ID issued by the Secretary of State's office. And you become eligible for the ID if you don't have any ID that qualify. So, oh. so, and uh, let's, let's say there's a number of people in a nursing facility who want, or, or an assisted living facility who want to go to the polls, um, but don't have an ID. I have joined the secretary of state's office to go out to an assisted living facility and help people fill out the voter ID forms and get those i uh, get the pictures taken for the ids and then have them mailed back so if someone needs a photo id because they don't have any other qualifying id and they have transportation challenges this can be worked out the secretary of state's office goes into the community to assist with that and so um someone I could call, know that someone could call my office or the secretary of state's office and say hey we've got a couple people who really need a you know, if they if they're not leaving the assisted living facility, then they could vote by mail, and there are other the the photo ID is not required in that circumstance. But if it's somebody who wants to go to the polls or in person early voting, they will need the ID, and um, we could certainly help to make that possible if there are barriers. Wow, I've learned a lot this morning. <laughs> I'm so glad I yeah. want to. I want to circle back to a misconception that I didn't um, get to bring up. It might not impact the community that you serve so much, but it is, it's really important. And I like to get the word out. Um, every year when I'm out in the community, I meet one or two people who think that they cannot vote because at some point in their past history, they had a felony conviction. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and um, that's just, that's not the law anymore. So the way it works in Rhode Island is that, if a person has a felony conviction, but they have been released from a correctional facility, if they're now in the community, they they have their right to vote restored and they just need to make sure that their registration, voter registration is active. So um, it was very different in the past, but since 2006, that has been the law. So um, people think they, they're a felon, so they can't vote. Um, but that's not the law in Rhode Island anymore. That's, that is really important to understand because there's, we do have older adults who have served time. And so now if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, even if you're, you have had a felony conviction, once you have served your time, your debt to society is paid and, you, and your rights are all fully restored. It's, it's, it's a little different than served your time because, uh, when you're parole can be serving your time probation oh, okay. can be serving your time so it's once you're released once okay. you're in the community once you're no longer being incarcerated you have the right got it very interesting that's really important too right um, because what they were finding is that you know people people paid their you know did their time inside a correctional facility but parole or probation can go on for years. And so they're in the community, but they're not really able to exercise the right to vote. And so um, that was corrected in the Rhode Island constitution in 2006. That's awesome. That is very good. And you said that if there's housing, assisted living, nursing homes, et cetera, where there are folks who don't have an ID, 
that they can contact your office and coordinate with the secretary of state to get an ID to have that? Yes, absolutely. If someone is finding not having an ID as a barrier to voting, they can call uh, Disability Rights Rhode Island or the Secretary of State's office, and um, I'm sure that we can work something out. Okay. And so when it comes to disability rights, we've talked about voting. Um, what other services does Disability Rights Rhode Island um provide? Like, do you help people get approved for uh, social security disability or housing discrimination or That's things different. like that? Um, we do not help people get on disability because there are many lawyers out there who do that work. Um, okay. And so we, we promote people being in the community and exercising their rights. So uh, disability discrimination is something that we would we would take a look at. Um, mm -hmm. We've helped people who are being evicted um, for disability related reasons. Um, we help people um, who need assistance with getting services from the state agency called ORS, the Office of Rehabilitation Services. So if a person with a disability wants to be working and needs support, we have a program to give them advice and counsel or to potentially assist them if they need help um, getting, getting services from ORS. That's our CAP program. Um, we help people if they've been denied assistive technology that they need. That's something that we would look at. Um, and the way we work is that we have an intake department. So if the person uh, feels that they need help with some kind of disability related legal issue, they can call our office and we take a look at what can we do? Sometimes we'll give them information to advocate for themselves. Sometimes we would um, do more than that. It depends on the circumstances and, and our resources. Um, we are also working on some large systemic projects. Um, we are involved with trying to eliminate solitary confinement for people with mental illness in the prison. Um, so that's a big project that we're working on with national partners. Um, we're also concerned about people with disabilities who get stuck in hospitals or institutions for too long because there aren't proper community placements. Um, so that's something that we look at. Um, and effective communication, people who are deaf or hard of hearing um, often need services in hospitals or from the police. And we've been working to ensure that those services are in place. Um, I invite everyone to, to, to take a look at our website um, because we do have a list of kind of the things that we do do and some things that we definitely do not do. Um, we're also very involved with edu education in the community around something called a supported decision-making agreement. Um, this is a legal tool that is an alternative to guardianship and we have a lot of resources on our website uh, about that. So those are just some of the, the things that we're working on. Wow. So that's the DRRI.org. Yes. Awesome. So we've got that up on the screen and the supported decision-making is that for people of any age and any disability where they can like, what is, what is that? Under the Rhode Island supported decision-making act, uh, a person with a disability who's 18 and older, um, can enter into an agreement with someone who that they, they would like to receive support from. Um, this is a great tool for people to have 
um, for planning ahead. And, you know, uh, let's say I'm a, an older person and I'm starting to feel like I might want to have a, a family member or trusted friend help me with, with making medical decisions or gathering medical information um, under the law. The two people, the person with a disability and the supporter, sign an agreement that kind of lays out um, what the supporter is going to do to help the person with the disability. It's it's like um, power of attorney, but different. It's just a different tool um, to assist people to surround themselves with those folks who can assist them with making decisions. So the idea is that su the supporter doesn't make decisions for the person. The supporter is there to help gather information, to help support in making the decision. And legally, the supporter can communicate that decision as well. Um, oh, wow. Okay. The person needs, needs assistance. So I'm um, talking to a healthcare provider. Um, this could be for people with intellectual disabilities. Um, you do not have to have legal capacity in order to enter into this agreement. Um, so, if, you know, if the person can indicate, I want, you know, yeah, I want help with these things, um, then this is definitely a tool for people to consider. That sounds really good. And it's a legally binding tool, meaning it, you can go, you can take this tool to the hospital with, with someone who you're supporting and say like, I'm, I have the authority to right. be here. Right. Here's the supported decision-making agreement that, you know, allows me to, to assist in this way. I will give you the caveat that this is a new tool and I'm, I believe, and I'm actually confident that there are healthcare providers that may not be aware of it yet. Um, so that's a situation where if someone has, has a supported decision-making agreement and they're having trouble with having it recognized, um, Give, give us a call at Disability Rights Rhode Island and we'll, we'll either provide you with some self-advocacy advice or, or potentially look into it further. That's awesome. So it sounds like it, there's just a wealth of resources at Disability Rights Rhode Island. Um, are you guys a nonprofit? Yes, we are. We are a nonprofit f federally funded and created by Congress. So if people reach out to you for help, do they have to pay anything? No, we provide oh. free legal services. Wow. That's as a nonprofit doing all the work that you do. If people watching wanted to support you, how could they do that? Do you take donations? Do you need volunteers? Somebody to run your social media? Oh, all those no. things. Um, I will say for definitely, um, I just have to say, this is the first interview anyone asked me that. It's so <laughs> sweet. Um, we, on our website, we have a donation button. Oh, um, okay. And, and, and I invite people to um, go to our website and get on our email list so that when important things are co coming up, um, you can receive information. We just uh, sent out a voting related um, communication to our listserv. Um, and yeah, I don't, I'm sure we could use help with social media. We always, uh, that's a, that's a tough area, but I don't want to speak for, for, uh, DRI on that. I'm not really sure. So, but definitely check out the website um, sign up for our, um, our newsletter and, um, keep If they it have up. questions, can they call you? Yes. Absolutely. What's your number? We are, um, 831- 3150. It's just coming up there on the, uh, on the screen. And 
So people can call you, they can go on the website. Absolutely. And, and I'm uh, and I'm assuming that there are ways that if people have uh, technology difficulties that they can reach you in electronic means, things like that. Like yes. if, if they're vision impaired or hearing impaired and things like that, they can reach Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I just want to point out um, that early voting has started now. So people can be voting for the September primary now. Um, and if that's of interest to folks, I encourage people to call their city or town hall and make sure they know where the early voting is happening and what the hours are. And if there's any kind of mobility problems to ask wh where is the accessible parking um, you know, related to where I would be going. Um, so I just really hope that people will get involved and, and exercise that really sacred right to vote and and reach out to Disability Rights Rhode Island if there are questions about access and a polling place that doesn't seem accessible. We do survey polling places and communicate with the Board of Elections if we see problems um, or if there are policies or practices that you feel are interfering with your right to vote. We want to hear about that because we do um, educate community, um, excuse me, educate policymakers as part of our work. That is awesome. It is awesome. And our, our vote is our most powerful tool that we have. If we like how things are going, or if we don't like how things are going, our vote is our ability to make a difference. It really is. And unfortunately, I meet some people who feel as if their vote doesn't count um, or they don't want to participate. And I, you know, I ask them, well, are there any problems in the world that you'd like to see our leaders solve? And they always come up with a problem that they'd like to see solved. And so at that point, I say, well, you know, then you could vote for someone who you think is going to be tackling that, you know. Um, so let's Absolutely. get those problems solved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kate, I am so glad you were able to come on today and, and share this information. I've learned a lot today. And, and I that I'm is so always glad. fun for me. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. <laughs> well, everybody, you know, voting is the most powerful tool that we have as American citizens. And it's really important that we go out and exercise our right to vote. Um, it is coming up on September 13th. And I encourage everybody to get out there. If you're not sure about where the candidates stand on issues related to our older adults, please Scroll back in our video feed and you will see the Senior Agenda Coalition's uh, Governor Candidate Forum where issues regarding older adults uh, are specifically asked of the candidates and they answer. So you can be the most informed voter uh, possible when you go out to make your vote. So I look forward to seeing you all again next week. It'll be the first Friday in September. Wow, is this time flying by? Holy cow. I look forward to seeing you all. And in the meantime, be well and be kind. If you like this video, please follow us on social media and subscribe on YouTube. For more information, visit rielderinfo.com or call 401-585-0509. If you have any questions, email deb at rielderinfo.com.